This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello everyone, can you dig it? My name is Sam Lacrosse. Welcome to a new episode of do, a brand new episode of Do Not Lead, Do Not Listen to this podcast. I am your host, Sam Lacrosse. Said my name twice. Don't give a single fuck. Here we go. Okay, so this is a post that I've been wanting to write or write for a while. Um, been thinking about it a long time, especially as I've gotten into it as of recent. Um, it's it's been a hot topic issue, not really one that's really headline grabbing because most of it is boring, but it's just been kind of an undercurrent of a lot of things, a lot of angst between generations, a lot of people that you know have get in fights with their parents about this. I've certainly gotten into fights with my parents about this, and um, I've been getting more. In, so the topic today, as you can tell by the title of the podcast, is religion, and I've been very very skeptical of institutional power for a very, very long time. And it's ramped up in the last couple of years because of, you know, a lot of shit getting exposed, a lot of people doing this, a lot of people doing that, doing whatever. And it's not like I'm a wild conspiracy theorist. I don't think I am, unless you guys think I am from my rantings on this podcast. And last week probably didn't do me any favors. But I think that there is something very, very interesting about the aspect of religion in our society, because I do think at its core, all religion is very, very good and positive for people. However, I do believe that America has a particularly unique problem with doing this. So I took a while to kind of come up with this post. It felt kind of disjointed. It might be really shitty. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, you guys love to be the you know judges on that. But um, I, I don't know how I feel about it at the end. I think it starts out really strong and kind of dies towards the end. So maybe, maybe I'm fulfilling a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know. But I wanted to kind of do a harder look at really the how religion is structured, how it's set up, how people can kind of, you know, take a part of it and how people go into it and all of this other shit. So anyway, here's what I came up with and here we go. <clears throat> so three weeks ago, I stepped foot into a church for the first time in over two and a half years. Oh no, you might think, another self-righteous post about how he's all better than us. No, listener, I'm not better than you. In fact, I'm not even sure what, quote, better means. However, I do believe the religion is where we all look for that, quote, better, at least in some form or fashion. Human beings, since the beginning of time, have been wired for religious thinking. It's ingrained into our psychology, so deeply that it infects every part of our culture. The definition for the word religion is, quote, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor or faith, end quote. There are other definitions that pertain to the spiritual and or supernatural, but I think the more broad definition is the most appropriate. Because when you really sink your teeth into it, religion is not just religion. 
Religion is culture. Religion is conflict. Religion outlines our very way of how we interact with one another in the social hierarchy. It's how we do everything. We all have causes, principles, and systems of beliefs. We all revolve around our own proverbial sons. And, to put it in a more plain context, we're all fucked from it. I was born and raised a Christian. I was baptized in the Catholic Church, went to PSR, did First Communion and Confirmation through the same institution. My uncle was my confirmation sponsor, and my aunt and my other uncle are my godparents. I was raised to believe that God was real, that Jesus suffered and died for our sins, and that the Holy Spirit lives among us and within all of us. Our family prayed before every meal, went to church about once a month, and celebrated Christmas and Easter. My dad's family, much more religious than my mom's, were entrenched in the belief that the Catholic Church spun out among people. They nailed it into their kids' heads that they were a religious group of folks bound to the earth by the grace of God. But, as most young people do, I began to find that the concept got odd as I got older, and the concept itself odd as I got older. All these rules, and for what? I'm my own person. I could stray from the religious form of thought. I can make my own way, I thought. Well, about six years and a myriad of existential crises later, I decided that that way wasn't cutting it. I overestimated the resilience of my own self-sufficiency. It turns out, us humans do have limits on how far we can push ourselves without going insane. No matter what David Goggins tells you, your potential does end, particularly when you take it upon yourself to do so. It is vast and it is transformative, but you can only go so far. Which is what led me to meander into a South Austin church three weeks ago by the time of this writing's publication, and this podcast publication. I had pushed upon those limits one too many times, and I thought that I needed spiritual help. I talked with one person I trusted, a good friend of mine who was about as even-keeled and as rational of a person as I'd met in my life. He's a good friend and someone that I highly respect. I'm a very private person. I'm, quote, emotionally unavailable, according to numerous ex-girlfriends. It's very hard to get me to be vulnerable, particularly in front of a man. But I spilled my guts, desperately wanting to pick his brain about the spiritual domain. I learned quite a bit from him, and still do, and started dedicating myself more spiritually after my, quote, non-religious existence. More on this later. I started reading the Old Testament, but didn't get very far. I stopped in the mid-Abrahamic stories, still working on it. I began to look into the works of Jordan Peterson in this sense. He's the only religious person in the greater culture that ever explained it to me where it made sense in my eyes. I looked at the founding of our country, which I love dearly, and saw the imprints of Christianity all over the documents that spelled out its union. But I felt conflicted. In my 52-book Odyssey in 2020, I had read several books on Buddhism, which appealed to me greatly. Seeing that a lot of the cartoons and popular shows that I watched drew highly from Buddhist teachings, more on this later as well, it came more naturally to me. I could understand it better. There were no old words and ancient teachings that were hard to understand. It was simple, easy. So, so was atheism. You really just didn't have to do anything. Again, much more on this later. But my friend and Jordan Peterson went out and began to take Christianity more seriously again. I began to believe in it once more, at least a little bit. That was a big step for me. However, it took until one lucky day on Hinge for me to start really probing into my religious plight. I matched with a girl while I was living in Boston. The only problem? She didn't live in Boston. She lived in a small suburb, a town called Keene, New Hampshire. It's most famous for some scenes in the film Jumanji. They filled the stampede scene there, and the pair of shoes logo still decorates a local building wall. I typed into one of her prompts where she passed and explained her religious faith. She was a Christian, something you don't really see in one of the modern atheist capitals of America of Boston, Massachusetts. We started talking, and while we weren't attracted to one another after this, we still exchanged numbers and she became something of a Christian mentor to me, along with a friend I referenced earlier. She kept encouraging me to go to church, spend time reading the Bible, and dedicating my life to Jesus. 
This, as a person who wasn't looking to go fully headfirst back into the fray, was startling. However, I could tell that this girl really meant what she was saying. She was full-on convinced that what she said was the truth. And, as someone who was a big fan of the truth, I began to believe her. Which leads me back to my first experience in a church in nearly three years. The last time I was in one, the pastor had the audacity to pander to Kanye West to make an analogy about coming together at Christmas. The basis of his sentiment was basically, hey, if this wild, crazy rapper guy can turn to Christ, anyone can turn to Christ, right? I almost flipped a sanctimonious ass off and left the church, but I would have feared the wrath of my mother over the wrath of hell if I had. So, naturally, I was hesitant to go back to a place where I didn't deem in that high regard. But I wanted to make a change, and I would be lying to say that I didn't felt if I owed my two friends this. So I walked into one of the largest non-denominational churches in South Austin. I couldn't tell what it was, but there seemed something off about the place when I walked in. It seemed too clean, too pristine, too new. Like they didn't give money to the poor that they collected in buckets and instead just kept all of it and bought themselves new robes or something. I shrugged it off, went to use the restroom, and panickingly made my way into the room surrounded by other happy churchgoers, almost obnoxiously loud music pounding in the other room. There were pamphlets of various groups in the church on one table, along with something related to new membership. When I went to pick one up as I entered, I noticed something very peculiar next to the quote, Are you ready to follow Jesus? selection. Earplugs. Disposable earplugs, wrapped in plastic baggies, not unlike the ones you would find in a pack of four for a dollar at a local hip-hop festival. I turned into the main hall, and my suspicions blew up to InfoWars level. The main pastor, the guy who posed with his wife of 30-plus years in the Picture Perfect Wix website, was dapping up members of the congregation as they were walking in. Was this real? I thought, it can't be. I have to be in some sort of, sort of Christian-induced psychedelic state. But it was real. Very real. I dodged the dapping doppelganger and was immediately hit in the face with the music. A 13-piece collection of singers and musicians, each with a microphone hooked up to several monstrous speakers above the stage. Opposite that stage stood a booth with a soundboard that would have made both members of Daft Punk salivate through their helmets. Next to the dude controlling the soundboard was the man controlling the lights, which were strobing and flashing next to the speakers, illuminating the stage to the audience, who proceeded to mosh and rave for the Lord. Now, all of this was peculiar, certainly. But it wasn't anything I hadn't seen or necessarily expected. I've watched Jola Austin with my grandmother before. I got two by the altar, in the words of Bill Burr. But what really did me in was the lead singer of the band. He looked to be in his early 30s. He was the trendy millennial type. Perfectly ironed denim shirt, not one hair out of place, shoes wet enough to make the latest TikTok star jealous, the whole shebang. He was singing his guts out, spreading his hands up in the air and ad-libbing prayer while doing his best slash impersonation on the acoustic guitar. But it was his face that was the most concerning of all. Devout Christians, forgive me for this. Now, as a guy who's watched a sickening amount of internet porn in his time, I've seen the faces of hundreds of men while having an orgasm. It usually goes something like this. Eyes roll to the back of the head, breathing stops, mouth clenches, usually on the top, top or the bottom of their lip. They're completely paralyzed by their ecstasy, their sexual release. Well, this guy had the exact same face as the hundreds of men I just described. Orgasm face, every chance he got, would flash his soon-to-be-trademark looked, getting off to his own singing about how much he loved God. God is in this place, I feel him, he's with us, was the new fuck-me-daddy. It was truly a disturbing sight to behold. After a raucous 25 uninterrupted minutes of music, another younger guy came onto the stage, about the same age, more ripped, better looking, and overall much more confident than, than orgasm face. 
But that turned out to be a problem too. He didn't decide to be like Orgasm Face. He decided to be like Tony Robbins. He started yelling and screaming too. The war is won, he said. The light is coming, he went on, and not in the cool Ariana Grande Nicki Minaj way. He went, out for, he went on for about five more minutes, the crowd egging him on at every shot they could get. He then reminded everyone to post their social tiles on their preferred media sites, give them money at the convenient iPad kiosk by the coffee bar, and then calmly walked off the stage to grant the dapping doppelganger to his right to come and preach. The dapping doppelganger then took the stage, occasionally going Tony Robbins, but mainly sticking to a Jim Jones impersonation. Early on in the sermon, he had the entire crowd repeat back to him every word he said. He wasn't even reading from the Bible. He was the item of their worship, not some higher power. A mortal man, just like the rest of the people in the congregation. Into his lecture, he spun a tale that made no sense, bobbing and weaving like Muhammad Ali after he got Parkinson's, closing with a story about a family who was new to the church. The closing line that the family apparently told the pastor, quote, we're addicted to this place. All that being said, I left not only disillusioned, not only frustrated, but angry. I was beyond pissed at how hard it was for people to have a good experience at a religious institution without feeling that they were missing out on a bizarre flavor of Kool-Aid that everyone else was drinking. To be out of the loop, but not wanting to be in the loop in the first place. To cool off, I went to the store to buy up some groceries for the week afterwards, when suddenly I asked myself something I hadn't asked during my internal tirade. What if it's not a Christianity problem? What if, perhaps, it's a religious problem? More so, an American religion problem. Even though Christianity is the dominant religion in the states, estimated at hovering around 70%, every religion can be taken the wrong way and, as we've seen by such things as Islamic terrorism and genocides in Africa and Southeast Asia. So, in the greatest melting pot in the world, it seems totally logical that all of this mess can manifest itself inappropriately and spread through the masses like wildfire. This can easily be a problem when there's no one to step in and tell people that they're wrong. It's very easy, on the flip side, to just stick with and parrot back the false orthodoxy that you're spoken of. This problem is more difficult than this, though. The problem is not religion itself, because religion, as we have already mentioned, has been linked to multiple good things that surround human culture and life. It still is, as a matter of fact. People who are regular attendants at and practitioners of religious institutions are happier on nearly every metric that we have to measure. It has long been this way. It was the backbone of our society up until about 150 years ago when Friedrich Nietzsche proclaimed, proclaimed that and the rest of the world that were on the cusp, correctly, of killing God. It is not the ideas, principles, and stories comprising religions around the world that are wrong. What's wrong, in my estimation, is the people that comprise them. Those same flawed people, like you and me, that make mistakes and be, can, can be corrupted by greed and hubris. The people inside of these institutions are corrupting the vision and succumbing to things that are not good. This is, therefore, damaging the people that they are claiming to serve, while simultaneously spreading a false narrative of the true goodness that religion can bring to people. While I'm sure other cultures and nations have problem with, problems with them, I, can sh believe that, I believe that this is a uniquely American problem, particularly for American young people. Only in America are the freedoms of expression and thought allowed to run as free as they are. While this is a liberating venture, it can also lead to excess, which can dilute the value of the substance itself. To diagnose it, we must look at the three main types of religion, what lies at the root of all the problems that they have, why young people don't like them, and what needs to change for the script to flip. Disclaimer, all preachers, dick roots were all preachers' dick roots were shamed during the making of this blog post. If you haven't seen that YouTube video, I highly recommend that you go watch it. 
it's really, really fucking funny. It was really, really funny. So, the first theater, the West. Might as well start with what you know, right? Well, maybe not know, but at least understand better than most. I should also state, if I haven't already, particularly if you catch my rambling ass in podcast mode, that this is going to be a highly flawed and imperfect description of a highly complex landscape, perhaps the most complex in the greater world. I'll try to do what I can make can to make it bearable and understandable, but if you want to leave, I suggest you do. Don't make me feel good. It's not like I look at my analytics anyway. An overview would be a good place to start. And for further background, if you haven't read a book on the genesis of, of these topics, a great one, if you can stand it, would be The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro. Ew. Cringe, you might say. What I would say to that is, tuning in the more recent chapters out, it's actually a very comprehensive look at the development of the West, which, like it or not, is based highly upon the genesis of two primary religions, Christianity and Judaism. The two religions are destined, in my opinion, to be permanently intertwined because they teach largely the same concepts, albeit with different ending points and traditions. For example, Jews only follow the Old Testament of the Bible, which is basically everything before that dude Jesus came along and changed everything. Christians, by contrast, follow everything in the biblical timeline up until the book of Revelations, in which Jesus returns in a vision to the Apostle John in order to say that he will return again someday. The Jews do not doubt that Jesus existed, but there's one big thing that makes their religions different. They do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead after crucifixion. Therefore, they do not take the word of everything past the birth date of Jesus into account. However, the foundations, and the most interesting stories in my opinion, come before Jesus anyway, which is where a lot of the primary biblical lessons come into play. Jordan Peterson, who I mentioned before as the person who convinced me to give the whole thing another go, excuse me, lectures primarily from the Old Testament. He once spent over an hour lecturing on just the first line of Genesis. This is the documentation that shows the base of what Judeo-Christian values articulate as exemplified in the stories of Cain and Abel and Moses and the Jews escaping out of Egypt. The Bible and Torah are the manuscripts in which these are captured, which have been passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years, with no deviation of word except for meager changes in some meaning and context. The main themes of these two texts are broad. Look no further than the Ten Commandments, for example, of how they are so. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't fuck another dude's wife. Don't kill people. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Jealousy is bad. Sacrifice is necessary to achieve things of greater value etc. Weaving through thousands of years of the history of man, a picture is generally painted of how to live, which is then either stopped at the birth of Jesus or continued into more developed and nuanced lessons after he is born and lives in the cases of Christianity. The spread of Judeo-Christianity throughout the modern world over time has been nothing short of sensational. While originally arising in the aftermath of Greco-Roman paganism and polytheism, and in particular after the fall of the Roman Empire, people were looking to fill a new void in their lives. That void was filled through avid vocal followers and preachers of the Word of God. Remember, in, that, in those times, there were a lot more dangerous things happening. There was no technology even close to resembling what we had. We were still basically tribal except for a couple of far-advanced societies. Religion was a necessity in society as a source of hope for numerous people in order to get them through their day. So, when a dude in, some, some dude in a toga that doesn't look like Chad from Apple Pie Chai Latte comes to your door and say that you can spend eternity in heaven if you would only consider this religion and follow in his footsteps, you might want to listen. And a lot of people did. Soon, the world began to morph around these values, and societies then began to form on the basis of a shared faith around those values. However, things don't always end up being so clean. Soon, there were people that did not want to follow in the footsteps of God. There were people that did not believe in it. There were people that clung to the old ways. There were people that believed in something else. Seeing this, 
the Judeo-Christians began to take a more aggressive approach, meaning conquest and imperialism. Ever hear of those things called the Crusades before in history class? Those wars raged between the Judeo-Christians and Muslim over control of the state of Israel and their capital city, Jerusalem? Millions of people died. Tons more were beaten, raped, and murdered, their only crimes being that they were innocent civilians. However, the Judeo-Christians began to spur their influence even more, reaching all corners of the world from their then head of state at the time, England. Reaching as far away as India, their religion spread to the greatest new land that anyone had ever heard of and no one almost, almost no one knew existed. America. Since the Christians got there first, America became a generally Christian nation, as well actually an explicit Christian nation at the time, as documented in the founding documents of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. America became a homogeneous culture based on those shared values, which were, then, which were then used to build the foundation of the country. Even though America eventually yielded to its own words and eventually started becoming more tolerant towards other people and religions, much more so and faster than any other nation, mind you, it still took a while for us to get there. And it is, quote, there that, we, that is where we are now. So what is there? Well, as we said before, Christianity is still by and large the dominant religion in America, capturing over 70% of the market share. It is widely diversified in both types of Christianity, including Jews, if they count as if they count in this equation at all, but that is still the major part of the nation. It is widely popular, and it is growing in numerous segments related to ethnicity and socioeconomic groups. Most of the world reflects this. The majority of the non-secular folks in the world fall into the Christianity basket. Well, most people, and especially the Christians, believe that this is a good thing. I'm not sure it's that simple. Is it, a good, is it good that a largely good thing, which I believe religion is, to be practiced by a lot of people? Sure I do. However, as Joe Rogan, an atheist, aptly put it when describing it on his podcast, there is one thing that people don't account for, particularly in something as sanctimonious as religion. Power. Power is the one thing that you can rely on to corrupt anything, no matter what the institution may be. However, I believe that this type of power in this type of context is a different one than usual. In normal circumstances such as this, people generally look to the people in charge, and they should in this case, given the whole man-touching-little-boy thing currently happening in the Catholic Church in particular. But in this case, we need to look at something else, members of the congregation itself. Similar to the woke movement, people in religious institutions is achieved by one thing, virtue. The people who are the most virtuous, or at least perceived as the most virtuous, are the ones that people look to for influence. Not a lot of people want to be the guy whose job is to be a gigantic teacher's pet and not break any rules or get laid. A lot of people would prefer to be a guy who runs the local waste management firm, flexes on everybody by giving a lot of money to the church, and has a lot of fun in the process. Unfortunately, in America, where much of our culture is influenced by consumerism and materialism, everything is fair game as to what can be corrupted. And, since religious institutions are one of the founding cornerstones of that culture that are still very relevant, no exception is made for any of them. The whole structure of how it mel melds into the fabric of society is turned into a gigantic keeping up with the Joneses contest. Everyone wants to talk about how much they go to church. Do you hold your hands up in the air while we sing? How much did you give last week? Did you see that Susan didn't make anything for the bake sale? Everywhere you look in the modern-day church, there are excesses. Not only in things such as bake sales and monetary donations, but in the mere act of serving itself. The humble nature that Jesus apparently preached about all the time is not followed often. In fact, a lot of the churches are now anything but humble. They're not sanctuaries. They're advertisements. Come in. We're the cool one. We play Christian rock music. We don't judge anybody. We have televisions. No, like really big televisions. Additionally, I've come across something else while looking at Christianity in America from a broader perspective. 
I've been binging The Sopranos recently, and like everyone else in the world, apparently, think it's, thinks it's one of the best television series ever. It's truly awesome. One of the most interesting parts of the series, particularly later on when the kids find out that their dad is, indeed, an atrocious excuse for a human being, is the relationship within the family members amongst one another. You have Tony, the stereotypical mob boss who is authoritarian and dominant in every way fashion. You have his wife, Carmela, a stereotypical mob queen who grows to resent anyone who has the freedom in life to do what they wish beyond demanding a new bag or job from her husband. You have their daughter, Meadow, a spoiled brat who goes to an Ivy League school, discovers the truth about her father, and becomes worldly. And you have their son, AJ, your stereotypical male fuck-up who is constantly demanded to be something, but never amounts to anything. The Soprano family is fractured. None of them can get along because they all have conflicting interests. The only thing that's hold them, that holds them together is the fact that they share the same, D, same DNA, and hold them together is a very generous term indeed in this show. Other than that, they probably wouldn't associate with one another at all. Christianity has the feel of a fractured family. I'm honestly not sure if the holistic religion is that healthy, or healthy at all. It's all supposed to be looking up to the same thing and have the same goals. But the different factions of the church, the different branches, don't see it that way. Everyone always shits all over one another and covers up for the bad shit that is happening between their own walls. If it were a family, it, was be, it would be as if the dad is an alcoholic, the mom is a schizophrenic, the daughter is a whore, and the son is, an, is addicted to opiates. This makes the Christian religion and theology immensely complicated because no one can agree on anything. Even worse, no one makes an attempt to agree on anything, it seems. There is no attempt to understand one another. There are only futile attempts to assert dominance towards one another in some bizarre form of sanctified pissing contest. And similar to The Sopranos, why the fuck would anyone want to come into that family? What in the world would seem inviting at all? They can lure you in, sure, just like The Sopranos do with their giant house and in-ground pool and great cooking and fancy furniture. But, like Hansel and Gretel, just because the house is nice doesn't mean that what's one on the inside is any way, shape, or form appealing to anyone who enters the premises. The dual problems of clout chasing and infighting are a telltale sign that all are cautious. Stay the fuck away. Which is a shame, because a lot of people who follow this religion are totems of ways to live your life. Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King are two of the better examples. But there are also Charles Manson and David Koresh, who fall similarly down this dark tunnel that the church is now turning towards. However, and overall, there is a very large difference in responsibility to what the church holds versus what they expect their congregation to hold in return. The people that make up the church are expected to carry the brunt of the responsibility, but there is no proper guidance from the church itself and hardly anyone else in it that is notable in how to carry that out. Simultaneously, this also creates a realm of conformity where groupthink is the only language that can be spoken. No one wants to go against a, quote, devout Christian, right? Of course not. Their church-like wokeness will come for you and crush you, and you will soon find yourself alone and ostracized. The complete opposite of what a lot of people end up in church for. The non-tyrannical collective begins the non-tyrannical self. And, if there are very few non-tyrannical selves to look at, where can one even look? Theater 2. The East. The East, which birthed the West, was a much more open place, especially the further you look back in time. If you think of America as having a Wild West, the Eastern world would have been the Wild West of the religious space. Tens of thousands of religion once populated these regions of the world, some numbering as small as dozens while others were as large as millions. 
Some spanned empires were only spa some others only spanned a couple of hundred square feet. Like I had alluded to in my intro, religion was, before advancing in things such as science, the main hallmark of advancement within society. It was the main beacon of hope. Wanted to move up in society? Do what your main religion told you and hope it works out. Want to have a bountiful harvest? Pray for one. Want to live a life of meaning? Serve one. Being a very tribalistic group of people in general, this appeals to a lot of folks, who then began to tell their religion's tale through stories, hyping up legend and lore to define their people in the eyes of their versions of God. From the Egyptians who studied Horus and Osiris, to the Mesopotamians who studied Marduk, to the Greeks and Romans who studied Zeus and Hades, new gods and goddesses popped up all over the place, vying for the attention of their subjects in order to win their favor in the hierarchy. It didn't matter which one was dominant. All that mattered was that it was theirs, and that they could follow it. However, as we grew out of our tribalistic mindset, words, like the latter Western religions, began to spread more rapidly, and the hierarchy began to stratify even more. Soon, older religions were phased out and consolidated by literal social Darwinism. Only the strong survived, partly as those in the society began to witness the rise and fall of some of the more notable ones that comprised it. The two most influential religions that came out of this Wild West theater came out of, both came out of Asia, Buddhism and Taoism. Now, in the predominantly Judeo-Christian West, this might be unfamiliar to some, at least in practice. However, I don't think that, believe that they are for one simple reason. Our culture loves them. I didn't realize it until I began diving deeper, but our greater culture, and our pop culture in particular, loves the themes of these two dominant Eastern religions. Their overall themes of transcendence, peace through strength, collectivism, and higher consciousness are very appealing to our natural human ethic of striving. Heroes embody these qualities, noble people. So, when the people who run the pop culture scene can input them into their own characters in order to make them better, why wouldn't they leap at the opportunity? In my experience, I was introduced to the two of these religions very early on, even though I didn't know it. I was introduced to Buddhism through the television show Avatar The Last Airbender. In one episode in particular, the titular character Aang goes on a spiritual quest to unlock his chakras. Chakras, in Buddhism, are swirling pools of energy located within your soul that, when unlocked, allow you to progress further up your state of consciousness until you reach some form of enlightenment. I thought, and still do think, that this is the coolest shit ever. How awesome that improvement could lead to something like this, I thought. I want to achieve that harmony. I want to help mend the wrongs. I want to drag and breathe fire out of my mouth while throwing rocks in the air at 100 miles per hour and drowning people in a tornado. I was introduced to Taoism through the Star Wars series. Little did I know it then, but the entire film was basically the religion with spaceships and laser swords. As the biggest closeted Star Wars nerd I know, I was amazed at how similar they are. The Force, a.k.a. the Way, or the Tao, guides everything. Those who follow it and respect it are bound to do okay. You can use the way for good and bo both good and evil, and it can corrupt it accordingly. The badasses practiced the way. They wanted to be one with it, to be molded and shaped by it. Therefore, due to their influence, I didn't see them as religion. I saw them as something else. Cool. To me, as an impressionable young child, these imaginary shows were, escape in, were an escape into the places I've always wanted to go. I never had a lot of self-confidence as a kid, and those shows made me feel invincible when I watched them. I identified with them. They made me feel powerful. Being raised Catholic, church felt boring, stuffy, and useless. I saw it as a place where I would get dragged to, be forced to listen to some out-of-touch old guy tell me how to live my life, and pray to God, if he existed, that a baby wouldn't cry so my sister wouldn't flip shit and embarrass my family in the middle of the horrifically quiet place of faulty worship. We all want to fit in. 
to be seen as someone who is cool, who knows something that the other lesser people do not know. I thought that Avatar and Star Wars were cool because they provided me a perspective on my life and what surrounded me that I didn't otherwise have in my Christian religion. It was so much easier to understand, so much simpler. I made so much more sense. All that is still true today. Due to the confusion and hypocrisy by a large group of factions of the Christian theology, it seems like there is no cohesive message. A lot of different churches try to have dick measuring and pissing contests about which brand of their branches are better. The same cannot be said, at least from what I can tell, with Buddhism and Taoism. Their followers don't seem to fight at all. They seem to like each other. Everything is good. You rarely hear anything bad coming from that aspect of the religious realm. They seem so accepting, so loving, so tolerant. You never hear of any Buddhist crusades and Taoist diatribes on the rights of culture. No, it's just a group of people that theoretically get along, bring anyone who wants to come along along, and live and let live with everyone else around them. They're all relatively at peace with one another and with themselves. It all seems so good. But it is not that way. Last time we talked about the myth of tolerance. Tolerance does not exist because you are human. Tolerance does not exist because you are human, and humans have values. And values are naturally discriminatory. You cannot value one thing and value the opposite of that thing at the same time, or else you really do not value whatever that thing is in the first place. Religions talk all the time about their values and how they can be implemented within their practitioners and enforced throughout the broader world. Organizations such as businesses do it as well. However, when acceptance and openness are two of their primary values, that should automatically shoot a red flag up. Questions need to be asked. Where is the line in the sand? And what happens when someone crosses it? Is there a line at all? What does that mean for me and the people I care about if I venture into this space? These are the questions that these people have a hard time answering. They get walked over. They don't have values that they are willing to defend. It might, quote, exclude somebody. It might hurt their diversity, equity, and inclusion profiles. Like Christianity, it has become a contest of power and popularity, one that is not so easily defensible because, at the end of the day, it can't be defended. Live and let live is a very old and very tired excuse after a while. It makes the religion seem weak, and in this sense it is. The examples of a loving and tolerant collective immediately become unappealing when people see through the facade. It ostracizes them from the rest of the pack. It makes them feel weird and vulnerable and scared. It makes them think that there is no community. And, when you look at it from that way, there is no community aspect to it. You're largely on your own. If you have an opinion on anything in this realm, it must be immediately dropped in the name of tolerance. You can't assert anything. You have to say everything is right. Everything is never right, because no two opposites can be right at the same time. But this is how religion works, so people play that game in order to survive. This has a uniquely Marxist tone to it as well. Everything within this religion is a social construct. Nothing is real, some of them say. Well, if nothing is real, then the universe is malleable. When the universe is malleable, bad shit happens. Bad people with bad values come in and fuck things up and hurt people and probably end up killing a bunch of them too. When all the borders in society fall, insert corny wall joke here, anything can rush in and immediately seize control, insert January 6th Black Lives Matter riot jokes here, no one can ever feel certain or safe. If the main goal of religion is to create community and hope for a better future, the Eastern religions do a shitty job in the long run of promoting both. Finally, it all makes sense the community seems very far away from people. They're almost too elevated for their own good. They don't really have any way of identifying with anyone specifically because they identify with everyone generally. When there are no boundaries comprising something, it automatically seems like no one can access it. Remember, needing everything attracts nothing. 
but it also causes people to look at you weird. Oh, that guy again with his high and mighty ass, but he's so different because he can be everything to every person. Who would want to hang out with a guy like that? That guy would be a cock, and people should rightly call him one. The East falls on its collective face because it chooses specifically to define itself by what it can't be defined by, non-values and the people that inhabit them. What started off as a wild west of religion, largely broken down into now two factions, has been regurgitated as an essentially valueless ball of bleh that has no meaning because its values refuse to give it so. Having shitty values is not a good thing, and especially when billions of others rely on it to give meaning within their own lives. The reason that a lot of people are going to can't stand religion is because they either fall on one end of the extreme or the other. Their values are shitty and that they create a clout chase, or that their values are shitty and they don't have values at all. But there's a third theater, one of those who inhabit it, hate to admit it exists. Theater 3, The Nothing. Yes, it's a religion. Atheism and agnosticism have always existed. There have always been some people that have existed outside of the structure of religion. Some of the most influential people who have lived in the modern time, ranging from Joe Rogan to Richard Dawkins to Sam Harris, are all very successful people without having a religious background as that way to their success. I'm not quite sure where atheism started, but I do know how, how humans operate decently well. And in this sense, I don't think that it's very hard to understand where the movement comes from. Quite simply, the people that, quote, came up with atheism are the one that basically said, quote, fuck this, thought people worshipping some invisible thing was weird, and then going off and doing their own thing by doing the exact opposite of the religious folks. However, recently, these type of believers have been more, become more and more common. The United States, while still very religious in aggregate, is becoming more secular. Atheism has grown to become more accepted and, in some cases, the norm due to changes in our society due to religion falling out of favor with some groups of people. This group of people can vary, but it usually is more prominent among the young due to the fact that they grew up in a far less religious society than their parents and grandparents did, particularly if they came from anywhere off coastal border. If there's one thing that defines our generation, a general skepticism would be a good place to start. One of the best pieces of, of advice I got from a college professor was learn to question things. It's good advice, and it's new advice when compared to the generations of the past. My dad told me once that my grandparents were so stubborn because they were told by their parents specifically not to challenge authority. They were strict believers in the merit of the person in one arena versus another. They didn't think that the power could be corrupted and respected the pre-poor's premium. While we, should certainly, sure, while we should certainly make an attempt to do this before doing its opposite, its opposite cannot be casually disregarded either. Only fools would believe that everyone who obtains a position of influence and greater power over another group of people is doing so with good intentions or got there on the basis of merit alone. In our society now, where our ruling class and mob have exposed the inner class warfare going on within our country, we must be skeptical of people who are going for greater power. We must hold their feet to the fire and see if they're actually doing their job properly, or else we will pay the price. The target of our generation's ire recently, or at least a big one, is the religious structure, particularly among the dominant religion in the country, Christianity. And, to be fair to the atheists, there's plenty to be mad about. Little children, particularly young boys, are being molested on a daily basis by people within the Catholic Church, the largest denomination of Christianity in the world. There are problems, are all the problems you mentioned in the section about Western theology, and even more that I didn't mention. 
A lot of them don't agree with the Pope's stances on things like abortion. A lot of people on the left-leaning side of the aisle aren't fans of how religious a lot of the people on the right side of the aisle are. They think that religion favors them. So the easy fix for a lot of people that don't perfectly align with the beliefs of the Western doctrine is to simply not care. It's the, quote, cool thing to do to be an atheist, because then you don't have to commit to anything that would require commitment. You would simply pull a Forrest Gump and float along in the breeze. There would be no justification for your feelings. You could just do what, quote, feels right to you in the moment. No one could judge you based off your theology or your hierarchical structure that you build your base of personality off of for the simple reason that there is no one to go after. But I also believe that there is a flawed logic on two fronts to this. First, I believe it's a flawed logic because actively choosing not to believe in something is believing in something. You're just believing in nothing, which is still a belief. You still orient your existential beliefs around a religious structure, just one that is outside the realm of the religious. You worship your freedom from religion as your religion. That's why atheists and agnostics are always mad that you say that they're a religious people. They might not have a god or goddess to pray to, in theory, but they definitely have something to strive towards. You still have an idol of your worship, or you substitute something else in for it. A lot of people in the self-improvement space, like the aforementioned Harris and Rogan, are atheists. They don't rely on another person to save them, so they go all in on making themselves as, quote, invincible as possible. They either go deep into the brain to figure out what the optimal level of free will and human flourishing is, Harris, or they have conversations with many smart people to achieve enlightenment, Rogan. They work out a ton and make themselves ripped. They study incredibly hard and make themselves incredibly smart. They go super hard in their field of work to make themselves ascend to the top of their field in an incredibly manic fashion. Whatever your thing is, you try to maximize that thing. It becomes your god. Second, you really don't believe in nothing, even if you say you do. If you believed in nothing, if you had no aiming point, no ideal, then you wouldn't do anything. You'd be a vegetable, sitting down on your couch with your mouth open and the TV blaring white noise. Humans aren't wired that way. Even if it's a meager goal, we all still are, unless you're an actual vegetable, which in that case, how in the fuck are you reading this? Striving towards an ideal. An ideal is a religious idea, whether you want to admit it or not. As long as you have goals and values to derive them from, you will always have a religious method of thinking. But this group has gotten creative recently, and have tried to find a root loophole around the religious method of thoughts while still foraying into the existential. It is now common for a lot of atheists to be, quote, spiritual, based, basically adopting a sense of the existential without the commitment of the devout religious person to back you up. It's a nifty invention, one that can allow a lot of people to feel good. This is my common method of thinking for a very long time. I thought it would work until it didn't. The problem with this method of thinking is that it is, by definition, unfulfilling in the long run. A life without commitment and responsibility cannot be fulfilling because anything that requires commitment and responsibility requires you to be deeply invested in it. It's like sitting down at a fancy restaurant and leaving after you eat a piece of two of the bread and half the Caesar salad before your waiter can ask for the calamari and cowboy ribeye with béarnaise sauce. This is why hookup culture in our society doesn't work even though seemingly everyone in our generation does so, including myself. We look for something to fulfill us, but we fail to realize that not taking up the responsibility of going all the way into that something is a very bad consequence when something this grave is at stake. We're a generation of unhappy people, ones that know what they want but don't have the stomach to do it themselves. This religion is all sizzle, no steak. It sells on the false benefit without providing the actual ones that, it that its constituents are looking for. It's truly a very sad thing. Cults are appealing to those that want to join them for this exact same reason. There is some person promising you a golden ticket into a realm beyond your comprehension to give you all that you want, but all that you have to do is chase it forever until you might miraculously stumble upon it, 
and then they probably kill you. And remember, strictly not doing something is still doing something. Not believing in something is still believing in something. And actions are the ultimate testament of belief. When you chase false idols, whether that be in the form of religion, sex, whatever, you open up the door to other things that can corrupt your vision and ultimately have your entire perception of the world around you fall flat. There is a void. And when you make that void the center of your universe, you begin to feel like there is nothing to hope for or sustain you. The reason why our generation is unhappy, the reason why everyone seems to be depressed, is because there is nothing that we want to emulate. Everything that we do doesn't sustain us. We don't have an ideal. We only have a desire. And all sexual appeal gets boring after a while. So, instead, you succumb to things that would be around you. And, depending on what's around you, that could be a very scary place to be indeed. So, what now? Religion is a tricky thing. The benefits are outstanding in my estimation, the potential downfalls equally fatal. What needs to be done by all is pursue your religion, but pursue purity in that religion. Don't let the human corrupt the spiritual. Human beings are flawed creatures. Religion is a pursuit of an ideal. Humans are not ideal, and religions are not meant to be flawed. If one is to be pursued, you must do so with the intent of leaving behind your human self to become something better, or the problem of religion will consume you. Kind of like Hurricane Harvey did to Houston. Fuck you, Joel Austin. So, hope that made sense to everybody. I, at least in some way, I don't fucking know. But um, it's just, I wanted to get that off my chest for a while. So anyway, hope you guys have a great day. Can you dig it? Own the day. Open your mind. I'll see you guys all next week. Thank you very much for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?